Hey, everybody, it's Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined as usual by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. It's Adam Brown. Hey, Jay, how are you? Man, I'm living the dream. What a cool show we had today. And it's a topic that we talk and we cover sometimes on the show, but not usually in great depth. We talked a lot about operations and tactics on LinkedIn. What I liked about it, Jay, was we talked about LinkedIn and we talked about another topic that we don't often talk about, and that is social selling. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, Melanie Daddaro really spoke about wasn't the tactics of social selling, but more the strategic side of things, and that you can't just use kind of the technology to do this, but really, fundamentally, selling is still about that in-person relationship and how you segue from an online to an offline, and now in some cases, back to an online relationship to kind of complete a transaction or complete a sale. Yeah, super interesting episode. If you care at all about LinkedIn, and you definitely should, you're going to like this one. Also, make sure you listen towards the end because Melanie tells the story about how she met her father using social media. Make sure you hang in there for that because it is a humdinger on this week's Social Pros podcast. As seen on 2020 uh, and several other uh, TV tabloids. It's really something. Enjoy the episode. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you have found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince & Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince & Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hi, friends. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Thanks, as always, for listening to Social Pros. I tell you, now, in our eighth year doing this show, it simply wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. This week, they include Salesforce Marketing Cloud, longstanding sponsor of the show. You know, social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, yet some have a hard time using it effectively or measuring results. There's a new complete guide, totally free, from our friends at Salesforce. It's called The Complete Guide to Social social media for B2B marketers, and it reveals the best types of content for each segment and each social channel, talks about the role of metrics, social listening, and how to elevate your message and drive results in social for B2B. Really good stuff. No cost. Just go to bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B, the number two B guide all lowercase, you can download it right now. This week, the show is also brought to you by Brand Watch. As you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of images shared online every second. It's crazy. Instagram everywhere, etc. Brand Watch has world-leading image insights that can discover any logo in any picture and then helps brands measure their visibility within those photos. Pretty cool stuff. They've used this technology to look through, check this out, 250 million images to figure out which logos appear the most, and they've produced 
the 2018 Brand Visibility Report. This thing is fascinating. It shows you how often the most popular brands are photographed online, how brands are more visible in particular locations, which brands are used more by influencers in their photos, and the sentiment attached to each of the brand's images. Really great stuff. Terrific report. Lots of smart data. Grab it at brandwatch.com slash socialpros brandwatch.com slash social pros, no cost for the brand new 2018 brand visibility report. Awesome. Melanie Dodaro, CEO of Top Dog Social Media and author of the fantastic book, Linked in Unlocked. Welcome to Social Pros. Thanks so much, Jay. Awesome to be here. Melanie is joining us on the show, Adam, not from uh, you know an undisclosed location in the United States or even from the from the sort of unusual location that is Canada. Melanie is dialing in from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, which uh, is quite fantastic. Yeah, plus seven hours from where we are right now. Melanie, we really appreciate you being on the show because as LinkedIn gets more and more important, I think it's fair to say, there is still a lot of question about how to use it well. And I think some people, like you, use it extraordinarily well, but I think other people uh, still use it in, in a bit of a ham-handed fashion. So that's what we want to get to the bottom of today is, is how we can use LinkedIn better. Certainly, your specialty is helping uh, professionals and salespeople kind of get into that whole realm of social selling and, and generating leads through LinkedIn. And I think we've all had good experiences with that, and some of us have had sort of less than great experiences with that. So we want to, we want to get into uh, to the weeds there and, and have you kind of take apart um, the, the LinkedIn formula to make sure we can, we can go off into the sunset doing this well, yeah? Absolutely. Obviously, there's been a lot of changes at LinkedIn, even in the last few months. Talk about those a little bit and sort of as a LinkedIn professional and a world-renowned LinkedIn expert, talk about sort of what you make of LinkedIn today and kind of future cast a little bit. Let us know kind of where you think it's headed. You know, LinkedIn's made uh, significant changes over a number of years, but the, the most significant have probably been in the last year. And that's what really forced me to write my, my new book because I had written one four years ago with the intention of it being evergreen. <laughs> you wrote a social media book with the intention of it being evergreen. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard of that show. It's amazing. Hey, Jay, I tried my best. I made sure I didn't include screenshots and anything that could change, but you know, there's been so much that has changed. And, you know, clearly strategy has to change when it comes to marketing, especially social media, because things get overdone, overused, fatigue sets in. But in addition to that, you know, the platform changes. And so LinkedIn's made some significant changes over the course of the last year where they've taken away some of the functionality from a free profile added it to a sales navigator profile and quite honestly, in my opinion, have made LinkedIn premium useless. So there is, you know, the three levels. There was the free, there was the premium, and there was sales navigator. If you're gonna do it professionally, you should get sales navigator, not worry about premium. Either do either do free if you're just sort of casually involved or do sales navigator if if you really want to, to to unlock sort of the power features. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a free account works for many, many people because many people just use LinkedIn as, a, you know, a professional networking site where they're engaging with people that they, they know or they want to connect with, but they're not using it actively for lead generation. For those who are using LinkedIn actively for lead generation, then Sales Navigator is absolutely the way to go. 
the amount of features that they took away from Chromium, literally, in my opinion, made it obsolete because there's no functionality for lead generation in that. They've, had, they've left a few little features in that for a difference of $20 a month makes no sense at all. Like go for Sales Navigator, especially if you're going to use it, you know, as a as, as a tool to build business, to uh, connect with leads, and and actually all the functionality that it organically provides through, you know, if you've set it up properly. How much of this transformation, Melanie, do you believe is because of Facebook's acquisition of uh, of LinkedIn back in late 2016? And how much of this was, do you think, just the evolution of LinkedIn that they probably already had charted and was probably kind of part of their roadmap? Microsoft, you mean? Right. Yeah, I was I was going to correct Adam on that too. Yes, I, I'm sure that's what he meant. That's okay. We'll just put that in the blooper reel. So just <laughs> you know what's really interesting is one year ago today, not exactly today, but this month, I was sitting in LinkedIn's corporate office in San Francisco, having meetings with some of the senior executives there, and I was really really worried about where LinkedIn was going because of the Microsoft acquisition. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, they're making some bad changes. What I was super impressed with is that they were starting to reach out to people that were, you know, influencers and power users to get feedback. And I even had an investment group that was heavily invested in LinkedIn that had reached out to me previously to that and had hired me for some consulting just to get my opinion, which I was also impressed with that because most social networks never care about anyone's opinion and they don't go seeking it. And over the course of the last year, since I had that meeting with them, I've seen some significant and really, really good changes that surprised me because I literally did. I sat in their office and I said, listen, guys, I have some concerns. I'm afraid that you guys are going to alienate all your free members to the degree that your network is not going to be you know, have any uh, leverage anymore because you can't just rely on paid members. You know, the network is the network because yeah. of all the free members. Right. And of course, the revenue comes from the paid members. I don't know what they've done. And I don't know if it's a combination between what they've done and what's happened elsewhere. And I'm, you know, Jay's, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jay's. Okay. And so I've referenced him recently in, in a couple of articles that I've done some of his videos that he's talked about in articles that he's written about the changes that LinkedIn, uh, Facebook has made and how that's impacting, you know, the usage of, of Facebook. And in my opinion, it's made a tremendous uh, uh, benefits. It, it's created tremendous benefits for LinkedIn. I have seen such a, uh, such a ramp up of momentum with LinkedIn that I've never seen before. Here's what I loved about LinkedIn previous to this year. LinkedIn is one of those, you know, those kind of like if you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you should really like to see a, a nice steady stream of, you know, your business increasing. So a nice steady stream of sales and revenue and things ramping up. That's what LinkedIn's always been. It's had this really nice steady stream of momentum, but nothing extreme. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's, it hasn't had these big, big extremes. But right now it is for the very first time ever, in my opinion. That, that's super interesting with LinkedIn right now is, is more and more people using video. Do you think that's one of the reasons that, that this new momentum is, is on the way? I don't think video has anything to do with it. I think that LinkedIn is a, very much a late adopter with everything. They take forever to roll things out. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn, but I also know all their cons, right? There's the pros, there's the cons. They're very, very slow with rollout. 
where LinkedIn today is with video is where Facebook was five years ago or yeah, four years ago, whatever sure. it was that they first launched it. That's exactly where they are today. And so you're doing a fantastic job with, with video, Jay. I, you know, I, I see your videos on LinkedIn. I'm usually they're liking and commenting them. And I mean, it works. I mean, for the stuff that I do, I, I get much better results now on LinkedIn video than I do on Facebook video. And I never thought I would say that, but it ha- it's true every single time. Well, and I'll tell you why. And that'll never change because people go to LinkedIn to learn. It's almost like YouTube, right? It's like, it's like YouTube for business people, right? Where, where mm-hmm. any time anybody needs to know anything that's not business, quote unquote, or even if it is to some degree, that it's, it's on YouTube. Like my son said the other day, I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, he's, he's going to be a senior in high school. He's like, yeah, I could go to college or I could learn everything I need to know on YouTube. And I'm like, well, that scares me, but you're not wrong necessarily. And, and, and I think LinkedIn is, you're exactly right. It's where people go to learn. Whereas some of my audience on Facebook wants to learn, but some of them just want to reminisce about high school, right? It, I don't have as homogenous of an audience on Facebook, nor does anybody. Whereas LinkedIn, at least you sort of have a homogeneity or however that word is said um, of, 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 you know, why you're on LinkedIn. Nobody's on LinkedIn on accident, I guess is the way I would say it. People are on Facebook on accident all the time. Right, exactly. And, you know, you post an article and video might be different because people are engaged, you know, in video a lot more than, uh, a, you know, a static article, for example. But, you know, you post a, a, an article on Facebook that's business related and it's crickets, like, you know, hardly any action. Yep, you post that same article on LinkedIn, you're going to get a massive you know, traction from it because that's what people are interested in. And we have to understand why do people use different platforms? What are they there for? And make sure that we're catering to that. And this is one of the reasons why Facebook has never been a huge platform for me because I'm not interested in, in the mindless stuff. You know, you talked about in your article, you know, all the political stuff and, you know, all the things that you think are, are decreasing Facebook's usage. For me, one of the things that I'd add to your list, and you had four really relevant items that you had on your list, and I'd love for you to share them because I think they're great. But the fifth that I'd add to that is the mindlessness, like people posting things just for the sake of posting so they can say they post today or for the sake of getting engagement. Like, you know, what kind of Disney princess are you? Or, sure. you know, just these mindless, stupid things that you'll never see on LinkedIn. And if Mulan, you do... actually, if we weren't going to get into that, but that's okay. <laughs> Adam, Adam is Belle and I'm Mulan in case we want to take stock of <laughs> specific Disney princesses. I'm glad you mentioned sort of the posting for posting sake, Melanie, because it, it leads me to a follow-up question I wanted to ask. Uh, and this is partially for my own edification. In, in, I know the answer is going to be depends because you're a good strategist, but, but if I had to pin you down, what is, in your estimation, the right posting cadence for, for LinkedIn. I'm not talking about prospecting and, and sort of reaching out to people one-to-one using Sales Navigator, but just creating content and quote-unquote status updates, if you will, on LinkedIn. What, what do you try to do in terms of number of, of posts per week, et cetera? Oh, number of times. Uh, on average, once a day, I, you, know, you can go one, two, three times a day, depending on you know, how active you want to be. I, I hear a lot of people saying, hey, you, know, you got to post often because you need people to see you. And, and that's never been my philosophy. I don't subscribe to the look at me industry that we're in. <laughs> so I'd rather post once a day or even once every two days and post something significant that's going to get garner attention versus just posting. So, you know, if I was to give a number and absolutely Jay, you know, it depends is my favorite phrase. 
because I always say, I'm like, I'd be doing people a disservice by answering a question without asking five other questions to know what the goal and objective is. So if I were to just answer that generically, I'd say once a day, maybe twice. And as a follow-up to that, one of the things I've noticed, and this is, this is kind of a, for a, a personal edification question, I have noticed, Melanie, that many of my friends and colleagues have started posting on LinkedIn during the evenings and during the weekends, uh, which kind of made me start to think if others like me have begun to realize LinkedIn is where I go more for that learning, that more focused content that's a little bit more relevant to maybe kind of what, what I'm doing at that particular moment. But with people who are now time shifting and spending more time on LinkedIn, not during your typical nine to five hours, A, is that something that you're seeing? And B, is there a strategy that can be built for content strategy in and around that? That's such a great question, Adam. Uh, the answer is, I don't know. Because in the past, I would tell people post early in the morning. And if you're going to post twice a day, post early in the morning in the beginning of the afternoon. But there is a big shift right now. There's a shift that's happening that's never happened before, where people are spending less time on Facebook and more time on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, we know that people were spending more time in the evenings on Facebook. Yep. So are they now spending that time in the evening on LinkedIn? It's anecdotally a few of the videos that I posted recently, you know, I've, I've sort of signed on East coast time. I've signed off at whatever, you know, six, seven o'clock and sort of had a, a video account and then logged back in the next morning and have had substantially more views uh, overnight. And obviously some people are West coast and that's some of it, but, but to, to Adam's point and to your point, Melanie, I, I've been shocked just on a personal basis recently, how much kind of overnight traction some of that content has gotten. And, and yeah, it's really, it's different than what we think, Adam, right? We always think sort of LinkedIn is the nine to five kind of bankers hour social network, right? But, but that seems to maybe not be the case now. Well, you know, I, interestingly enough, you know, I'm from the West coast of Canada. I now live in Europe. I'm nine hours ahead. So I'm now posting at about 3 a.m. Pacific time yeah. when I post because that's, you know, now noon my time. Sure. And I'm testing it to see, like, should I wait till later in the afternoon? Because I have a much larger audience in North America and Canada and the U.S. from uh, Pacific time to Eastern time. But I'm growing an audience. I've always had an audience in Europe, but I'm, it, it's, I think, growing more so now especially because of the time that I'm posting. Mm -hmm. I never posted European time before. So we forget, you know, we live in our little bubbles of our Eastern time, our Pacific time, our Central time, our Mountain time, whatever time zone we're in. We live in those bubbles, but we have a global audience that we forget about. It's true. And, and I think this becomes even more critical when it involves one of the other topics, Melanie, that you're an expert on, which is live streaming, because finding that sweet spot of when we're going to at least produce the live content where you're yeah, going when, to when see you turn on the button. Yeah. When do you hit that red button to, uh, to start? Oh my goodness, Adam. So I am far from an expert from live streaming. <laughs> I've done so very few of them. I actually have only ever been a guest. I've never hosted my own. And here's why. I can't stand watching people's live streams. Now, Jay, I don't know if you do live streams, but if you did them, I'd be watching yours. Thank because, you. no, Jay's like all about... I have, but I don't do as much as I used to. I used to do a lot. You know, I used to do a lot. Yeah, and, and I don't notice most people's because anytime I've ever logged into a live stream, people just ramble. And 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm a long time entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and I'm a no nonsense kind of girl. That's why I like LinkedIn. I'm not into fluff and live streaming for the most part. And I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm going to talk, I'm going to say 90% of the people that live stream are talking about fluff. Well, one of the challenges of live stream is that you have to be on long enough for people to get the notification that you're live, then have them drop whatever they're doing in theory, log in and then interact with them in the comments. That That's sort of what makes it. Well, you know, that means- Without that, losing some of those first people. Right. Or, yeah, yeah. So, so, you can't just pre-fluff. Yeah, you got yeah, so to have a fairly, you have to have a fairly one. long content window. I think it's, that's one of the reasons I stopped doing it because most of the videos that I do are shorter five minutes or less because I want people to consume them. Live stream, yeah. I think you have to be 15 minutes or longer, right? It's almost the exact opposite. Right. So, you know, Adam and I have talked about, about live streaming this show. Um, you know, you can, you can actually push live from the platform that we use to do the show and actually just live stream the recording every week since we don't do tons of editing. Uh, and then, you know, we would have enough time on air to, to, to make that happen. Actually, listeners, if you're interested in having us do that, send, uh, send me an email, jay at jaybear.com. Just be interested to get people's take on it. Uh, we haven't done it yet, but we've thought about it because you certainly have a long enough window. Now, I think, I suspect that at some point, LinkedIn will start to offer live video. Now, as Melanie said, LinkedIn is always a few years behind everybody else. And, and so, you know, maybe 2021 at this, at this rate of change, maybe the you know, live video is done. They were, they were supposed to launch it last quarter of yeah. 2017. And everybody keeps asking me, what, what, what about live stream? Do you think LinkedIn's going to launch, launch live stream? I'm like, well, they said end of 2017, it'll probably be like first or second quarter of 2019. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 18 months later. There's something else that, that I have written about a couple times with regards to LinkedIn that drives me crazy that I want to get your take on, okay? Mm-hmm. I am really unhappy with sort of the the shunning of SlideShare. I was always a big fan of SlideShare. I thought it was a tremendous learning resource and, and a really... Uh, unusual and valuable kind of corner of the social content universe. And and since the Microsoft purchase of LinkedIn, they have really basically slashed the staff and let that thing grow over with weeds to the degree that nobody even talks about it anymore, hardly at all. And I just think it's a real shame. Uh, what, Melanie, what do you think? Do you think it makes sense that they kind of moved away from it? Do they have something else planned? What's your take? Yeah, they have point drive. They have Microsoft products. So it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Again, I don't agree with that because I'm a Mac user and, you know, people talk about point drive and, and, you know, Microsoft, um, what is it? The email platform office 365 or something right. like that. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't use any of that stuff. So that's the problem. You know, we have all these different tools and, and many of them don't integrate. So you have to choose one or the other. And I don't like choosing because I like to choose the best of this and the best of that, sure. and whatever's going to work. And I don't like when I'm isolated from, you know, one thing or another. And and that's certainly it. You know, they have their their point drive and their their other various Microsoft tools yeah, that they're trying to that. promote, which is which is a mistake because yeah, SlideShare, you know, has much more potential from a you know a more mainstream kind of usage than what they're looking at doing with something like Point Drive. Yeah, no doubt. I want to ask about about sort of the core of your programs and, and working with sales professionals to create new leads using using LinkedIn. 
obviously you have hours and hours and hours of content and you do full workshops uh, on, on how to make this happen. Go to Top Dog social media to learn more about how to hire Melanie to make this happen. So I'm not going to ask you to give away all your secrets here uh, for free in the podcast, but if you could provide some counsel, first question I would have is, can any salesperson do this? Or is it a particular type of salesperson that is going to be more effective using LinkedIn in this way at this point? That's a great question. Absolutely any salesperson can do this. You know, I, uh, I posted um, something on Facebook and, and LinkedIn today about how the fa- I'm an introvert. So, you know, LinkedIn and social media are fabulous tools for me because I was never capable of going to networking functions and going to events. And, you know, I'd be the person hiding in a corner until somebody would come up and talk to me. Now, salespeople aren't typically that that personality style. They're more, you know, outgoing and, and willing to go and talk to people. But yeah, LinkedIn will work for absolutely anyone. The only people that will struggle with it are those that are so adverse to technology that they're not willing to give it a try. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. When when you advise people to sort of go through the multiple sort of step process of finding a lead, um, contacting a lead, nurturing a lead on LinkedIn, and then eventually you you always recommend sort of taking that offline, right? Telephone, face to face, etc. What is your best counsel for how to do that well? Because it's certainly not always done well. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. How, how do you make sure, I guess put it another way, that people use uh, the Melanie Dodaro secrets for, for good rather than for evil? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's, there's two big mistakes that people make online, uh, whether it's LinkedIn or any other social media platform. One is they connect with somebody and they go in for the pitch. Whether you're a salesperson or you're an entrepreneur or whoever you are, that doesn't work. People don't want to be sold on social media. It's just not the platform for it. The second thing is, is keeping that relationship online all the time and never moving that conversation offline because it's offline that business happens in the B2B world. Now, in the B2C, business to consumer world, yes, things are different and, and business still happens online. But if you're selling a high-ticket you know, service or product, it's happening offline. So what I talk about is... Uh, what I call the link method. And it's a five-step approach. The first step is finding those prospects online. You can do that through advanced search. LinkedIn's got the most fabulous advanced search of any social media platform that's ever been created. And you can do Boolean search where you can you know, create all these limiters like, but not this and, and but this and plus this and not this and so forth. And, and so it's a phenomenal tool to really, really target and narrow down who you want to connect with. From there, you send a connection request. You know, a lot of people will talk about, oh, you know, send an email. Why would you send an email when you send a connection request? You don't need to spend money on an email. You just send the connection request. Here's all you need to do to connect to almost any decision maker. And keep in mind, the higher up you go in the food chain, you know, if you're trying to connect with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, this is going to be very hard. But depending on who your audience is and who your target market is, you know, you're going to have to be really, really strategic about how you approach them. And that connection request has 300 characters. Make those 300 characters count. Personalize them. Spend three minutes, two minutes, one minute on that person's profile. Go to their activity section in LinkedIn. Look at what they've shared. Look at what they've engaged in. Find something personal to use to connect with them. And that's all it's going to take because 98% of the people that send connection requests on LinkedIn, send them unpersonalized. You will stand out by taking that 30 seconds, one minute, 
two minutes if you want to get really, really good at it, and depending on who your target market is, um, to send that and to send that personalized. From there, Jay, the next step is, you know, so many people are like, oh, I've been on LinkedIn for so many years and I'm not getting any business from it. I don't understand why. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you know, if somebody sends me a connection request, I send them one. If I meet somebody, I send them a connection request. I'm like, oh, so you're magically expecting business to appear. It's like collecting wow. business cards and just like letting them sit there on a stack. I'm like, well, I've got all these business cards. That's exactly what it is. So I'm like, you have to engage in a dialogue. So you send what I call in the link method, the welcome message which is simply, hey, thanks so much for connecting. And how I approached this welcome message and how I taught people how to do this two years ago is completely different from how I teach them how to do it today. Keep that really short, really simple, just you know, really engaging. When do you send it? No, how often after the connection do you send it? Right after. It could right be anywhere between you know, uh, an hour after to a day or two days after, but you know, in that short window. Yeah. And you just thank them for connecting. And if you can find something to compliment them in, uh, compliment them on, whether it's their their personal profile or company, you can find something that they've engaged in uh, online that you want to reference, anything that you have in common with them through reviewing their profile, anything that you can create some kind of rapport with, just simple and short and sweet. That's it. Don't ask for anything. First of all, don't ever ask for anything right? At the end of the day, business is going to happen offline. You want to have a sales conversation with somebody before you ever try to sell them anything. And so that means you need to find out what are their problems before you offer a solution. So that's the first step. The next step is to you know, continue to build that relationship, build rapport, you know, maybe send them a, a message that uh, is of value to them. Maybe you've come across an article or a resource or a stat or something that's a value to them, but you do it. And again, you just keep personalizing this. You know, I used to say just message script. You, you could use the message script because that used to work. It doesn't work anymore because everybody's doing it. Things get fatigued in marketing and things get fatigued in social media. So it's, it's that personalization that makes the difference now. Yeah, you can have a template and you can then just add your personalization into it. Absolutely. I teach people how to save time and do this in a super productive manner on a regular basis, but you need to spend that extra one or two minutes. And then, you know, once you've built enough rapport and you've kind of established, you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a relationship or a little bit of a dialogue, then you can find a way to comfortably move that conversation offline. It doesn't happen all the time. So, you know, whether it's 20%, 30% or 40% of the time, there's going to be times when it's not going to happen for the most part. Yeah, That's when you're going to use what I call your trigger events. You're going to pay attention to what they're doing online. You're going to engage with them, get them to know who you are, uh, share their stuff, you know, comment on their stuff, maybe send them a personalized message every once in a while, and they're going to know who you are. You know, there's so many times where people will, you know, I, I've been so busy in the last you know, several months with my book launch and, you know, everything that I've got going on and moving and so forth. And I've had some people reach out to me that share my content week in and week out, every single week. Melanie, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I'm like, oh man, like I really just want to say no because I don't have the time. Of course, I would never say no to Jay Bear. <laughs> that day would never happen. A lot of people do, Melanie. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like... I'm, uh, there's just a, a, you know, the reciprocity kicks in, right? 
you know, it's, it's one of the influencers reciprocity. So when somebody does something for me on an ongoing basis and they ask something of me, I can't say no for the most part, for the most part. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's building relationships, but it's really about doing it in a methodical way that you've got to be able to move that conversation offline. And so how you do that, again, this is one of those, it depends. I don't necessarily mean answers. offline per se, but at least off LinkedIn. No, I mean offline. It's, mean a, it's a phone call. It's an in-person meeting. It's a, okay. it's a video chat, depending on how you do business. Now, it could be email in some cases, but you know, if you're selling like a $5,000 service or a $10,000 or a $20,000 service, you're typically not selling that via email. Sure. It usually requires a dialogue. You know, um, if it's, you know, a thousand to $2,000, maybe it is just an email conversation. I've had a lot of people that have bought for me through an email conversation because they've known who I am or they've been referred to me by somebody. And that conversation hasn't gotten offline, but I've never sold a $20,000 service without a phone call. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't know if you have, if you have, you're going to have to teach me a few things. I completely agree with this idea of how to take online relationships and then take them offline, take them traditional, especially when you're starting to talk about higher ticket items or services. My question for you, Melanie, is recognizing that. And let's assume that you are a salesperson. Let's assume you're selling a higher price consulting services where you may have a sales process that lasts you know, into the quarters or even a year. What are the secrets for someone who is kind of gone to that stage four, stage five of a seven stage kind of typical sales process? They have gone traditional. They've used LinkedIn to mine that opportunity, to nurture that relationship, and then actually have an in-person relationship. But now they've got to go back and perhaps use LinkedIn to continue that relationship, to stay relevant. Should they spend their time sending, you know, personal messages to that person? Should they spend that time giving that person kind of kudos or endorsing that person? Or should they just spend that time maybe even creating more public content on LinkedIn that is highly relevant to that particular person and hoping that it actually kind of starts to drive some engagement on that end? Adam, all of the above. All of the above. And again, you know, it depends on, is this a hot prospect or is this maybe like a lukewarm prospect or a cold prospect or where is this person, you know, in the, in that, in that funnel or in that sales process? Um, you know, a lot of companies have a, you know, six month, nine month, 12 month sales process. So most of that conversation should be happening offline, but yeah, you can stay connected. You could stay engaged. You could stay top of mind by continuing to, you know, stay relevant through what you do on LinkedIn from what you post to the engagement of what they post. And, you know, some, some people use LinkedIn and they don't post anything at all. We know that. We see this on Facebook all the time. There's, you know, I, I, I bump into people in the grocery store and all over the place. And like, they know every single thing about my life. And I think I've never once seen them post anything in, in response to one of my posts. They're creepers, right? So many people just pay attention. They look, they observe, but they don't post. It depends on on each scenario. But yeah, for hot prospects, continue to engage in their content, in their, you know, pay attention to what they're they're posting and and how they're responding to other posts because we can see everything that they do. You know, Jay Bear just commented on this, somebody else's post, whatever it is, you, there's tons of opportunities to engage with them. So keep it relevant. You stay top of mind. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. 
you know, everybody talks about content marketing and I'm a pretty big content marketer. I, I publish content on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, I think it's a myth when people say that social selling is about posting relevant content on a regular basis. Right. Because that's just a very, very, very small piece of it. And if you sit around and wait for business to knock at your door because you posted content, good luck to you. Yeah. If you build it, they will not come. Right. The results come through your proactive approach, through an outreach to your ideal prospects and the continued follow-up that happens afterwards. And the continuing of building that, uh, you know, building rapport, building the relationship and engaging. You know, one of the quotes I always say is stop collecting connections and start building relationships. That's a, that's a great quote. And that actually is going to kind of lead to my, my, my kind of follow-up question here. And, and this is a little bit of a trick question, but I'm going to pretend for this purpose of this question, I am a salesperson and I am a pretty successful salesperson, but I'm a busy salesperson. And I only have about 10 or 15 minutes every day that I can spend on LinkedIn. How the heck do I allocate that 10 or 15 minutes? Where should I, where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? There's only one place to spend that time, and that's prospecting. You're a salesperson, prospect. Use LinkedIn advanced search, find your ideal clients, send them a connection request, personalize of course, and have a follow-up sequence that happens after they accept that. That's all you have to do. You could actually do a tremendous, a tremendous amount of business on LinkedIn with never doing anything but that. There you go, Adam. If this doesn't work out on the marketing side, at, uh, as the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud... I know where I'm going. Yeah. Sales, baby. Adam's going, all, Adam's going straight commission from here on out. Thanks for <laughs> You're hired, Adam. Would you like to come work for me? <laughs> Melanie, I'm glad you talked about content because that was my next question. So in addition to prospecting and, and individual connections and messaging through the LinkedIn platform, you can, of course, create status updates on the social side. We've talked about that earlier. But you can also publish to, to LinkedIn and use LinkedIn as sort of a blogging platform, if you will, uh, and, and publish articles there. I do some of that. You do as well. How important do you think that is? How successful do you see it? And how often or should you be posting similar content to LinkedIn versus your actual blog? Obviously, you have a blog at Top Dog Social Media. You also have a LinkedIn profile where you publish content. How do you think about those two things as different or similar? I think of them as very similar. So um, my belief, and I'm sure your belief is going to be similar to this, Jay. My belief is that you know, our focus needs to be on the assets of which we own, which is our, our website, our blog, our email list. We can't control what LinkedIn does or Facebook does or Twitter does. And, you know, we're seeing some, you know, some uh, downward momentum with many social media platforms right now. And all those people that business is reliant upon them, what's going to happen? You know, when Facebook uh, changed its algorithm and, and, Barely any business posts for business pages posts for showing up. People were freaking out. It's like really like you expected to have this free platform forever. You can't rely on something that you don't own. So my philosophy is always post to my own blog first. And if I'm going to share content on LinkedIn Publisher, it's going to be repurposed. I'm not going to spend time writing a brand new article for LinkedIn Publisher. It's going to be totally repurposed. Now here's the benefit of posting on LinkedIn Publisher. They've got phenomenal Google indexing, much better than yours and my blog yep. will ever do. 
<laughs> right? They're an authority site. They're the top 10 of Alexa. So when we post our articles on LinkedIn, they're going to show up a lot higher in the search results than our normal you know, articles on our blog posts will. So for example, I've got uh, blog posts on LinkedIn Publisher that are showing up in the number one position on Google Organic Search. Yet my website, which is a fairly decent site in terms of you know Google um, ranking, uh, is showing up maybe on page two or three for that same article that was posted on my website first, meaning Google indexed it on my website first because of Google uh, because of LinkedIn's powerful uh, Google indexing. So yeah, there's tremendous opportunities there. You know, repurpose. On average, you know, anywhere between three to seven days later, it would be the minimum. You can post it a month later if you want. It doesn't really matter about the time. You just don't want to post it immediately right after you've posted on your website so that Google has a chance to index it so that your website's the site that it was first posted on. I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, to be able to use LinkedIn really as a cross-posting SEO, SEM type uh, type benefit. I hadn't even thought about that. And that kind of gets to my next question, which is around measurement, which is about ROI. How do we kind of determine that th- these things are working? For social selling, pure social selling, obviously, the main kind of KPI that we're trying to track is, did we sell more stuff? And can we finally kind of allocate that to our, our social efforts? Talk a little bit, Melanie, about how you consult your clients to set up their measurement and their analytics to demonstrate whether their salespeople are more or less effective and if all their other social marketing activities are driving whatever benefit they're trying to, uh, to measure. Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, with any digital marketing, uh, when it comes to organic stuff, uh, it, it's, it's always been hard to track, right? So for me... You know, I look at, I look at, when it comes to social selling, I only look at one ROA. It's how much revenue? <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, you can look at, you know, okay, leads and how many phone call conversations. And then you can start to decide, is there a sales problem? Is there a marketing problem, a sales problem? Where's the problem here? So, you know, if you've got a salesperson that's generating a whole bunch of, you know, conversations and not selling them, maybe there's a sales problem and not a social selling or lead generation problem. Um, but there's so many KPIs when it comes to digital marketing and social selling, and, and they're overwhelming. And so, you know, many years before I was in this industry, I was in a traditional industry where I had brick and mortar businesses, and I used to spend $800,000 a year marketing my businesses. And I did that through radio, TV, and newspaper. And I had a 1 800 number assigned to every single marketing medium that I had. And I tracked every single call that I had through that medium and how many of those calls converted into a client. The white pixel of the day. Yeah. And it was all manual, right? So I got the tracking uh, from how many calls, you know, that was digital, but the, how many of those converted to a client was manual. But, you know, so here's the thing, you know, I get, I get calls, contacts through my website every single week through what I do organically through posting articles on my website. You know, I've got a a call a couple of weeks ago from a very large Fortune 500 company in the U.S. that was interested in having me train their sales team. And I said to the person who contacted me, I said, hey, would you mind if I asked you how you found me? And she said, yeah, Melanie, I typed in social selling training into Google. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. (laughs) 
because you know I create content all the time. And you never know. Is it, it producing? Works. Right. <laughs> Where this is the thing that I've always said with social. When I train a sales team on social selling, it's like, okay, you do this, 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 and this is the measurement. The measurement is how many phone calls and how many did they convert. Yeah, the measurement is did you get sales? Right. (laughs) But, you know, it depends on the goal. And, uh, and Jay, I love the fact that you use my word. That's my my phrase. I coined it. It depends. (laughs) 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 But that's the answer that I always say to everybody. I'm like, you know, if somebody says, can provide an answer to a question like that in one answer, they're doing you a disservice because you need to ask a few questions before you know what the right answer is. And it depends, like, what is the goal? You know, is the goal, you know, brand awareness? Is it building thought leadership? Is it, you know, ranking in Google? Is it generate, you know, so we have so many different goals. At the end of the day, I have two sets of KPIs, the ones that measure revenue and the ones that measure things that aren't revenue, but are valuable. That are on the way to revenue. I have, are you making me money? Are you saving me money? And those yeah. are the two buckets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Melanie, the, the sort of unit, the, the standard unit, right, uh, on, on LinkedIn is the LinkedIn profile. Everybody has one. It's the modern resume for many people. Uh, you have obviously spent a lot of time with people on their LinkedIn profiles, because if you can't get that right, then you probably can't get the rest of this, right? So I want to ask you a, an, input, an easy question. I think it's easy. What's the number one mistake most people make on their LinkedIn profile? Treating it like a resume. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> All right, go on. Describe that more. Let me hear, yeah. let me hear about that more. So, Because I'm probably so in violation all- of this now. I'm like, shit. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Oh, Jay, I'm going to have to go look at your profile. Please do. Please so, do. <laughs> so, you know, again, it depends on how you're using LinkedIn. If you're looking uh, for a job on LinkedIn, then having it more, you know, resume focused is absolutely fine. If you're using LinkedIn as a business building tool, you're going to take a different approach. And that's a more client focused approach. So, you're going to talk less about yourself and more about who you serve. More so, so here's, more sort of like solutions provided, or how you how you help other people. Right. So here's the three goals that you have with your LinkedIn profile. You want to build authority and credibility. You want to let people know that hey, you are somebody who knows what you're talking about. Then you want to share how you help your ideal clients, and you share that by identifying who they are, identifying the problem that they have, and the solution you offer to solve it. And then last thing is you want to build and increase trust and engagement. You ultimately want them to accept your connection request if you're the one proactively doing that or send you a connection request if they've stumbled across your profile in one way or another, whether it's through seeing you post online or it's doing a search and you showing up whatever it is, you want them to take that next step and to reach out to you. So anybody who's trying to sell, and when I say sell, you're never trying to sell via social media or or LinkedIn. You're trying to build relationships to ultimately move them to the conversation offline where you can have that sales conversation. But if you're trying to connect with prospects online, you need to have a profile that's compelling enough that they're willing to click accept because it's just as easy for them to click ignore. Actually easier. And what <laughs> and what's even worse, what's even worse is after they click ignore, they can then click that little link that says I don't know this person. You get five they're, of those. You're grounded. You're in LinkedIn jail and you can no longer send connection requests without knowing somebody's email 
well, t- tell me how you're going to prospect on LinkedIn Yeah, good to <laughs> in that scenario, right? All right. So, all right, Millie, I'm going to send you my profile. Well, yeah, I need to send you, you know, you know how to find it. And I'm sure you're going to send me like an email, like you're such an idiot. You've got this podcast and your LinkedIn profile sucks. Adams is way better. All right. So that's, all right. That's, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be all bummed out, unfortunately, but you're right. You're right about all these things. Adam, your LinkedIn profile is not a resume. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's the, the headline that's of the, the show. Biggest, it's going to be the headline right the there. Melanie uh, Dodaro, it's so great to have you on the show. CEO of Top Dog, social media author of LinkedIn Unlocked. Such great insights you've shared. Before uh, before I hand it back over to to Jay for uh, for the two big questions, I did want to ask you if you could share a story that you shared with us uh, right before the show around how you met your father using Facebook. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, no, I'd totally, I'd be happy to. It was me late May, 2015. LinkedIn is my favorite social media platform for a reason. I don't like to get too personal on social media. I'm a very private person. I'm an introvert and I'm private. (laughs) And so, you know, social media has been a fabulous tool for me, but you know, I get really uncomfortable with the really deeply personal things that people post. (laughs) It's just not my style. I'm much more professional and, you know, um, I just, I, I just am who I am, right? So I'm, I'm a little different in, in that I'm not comfortable sharing, you know, deeply personal things, especially in public. So I was actually at an event in Victoria, British Columbia, and I was having dinner with one of my girlfriends. We were both speakers at this event, and she was telling me a story about her dad and after she told me her story, I said, oh, you know, that's, you know, that's really cool. I said, you know, I've never met my dad. And she's like, what do you mean, Melanie, you've never met your dad? Like, she was literally puzzled. She's like, I can't even understand what you're talking about. I'm like, I've never met my dad. And she's like, well, let's look for him. <laughs> so here we are sitting in this Italian restaurant in Victoria, BC, and we're Googling and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And my dad's He's Dutch. He's from the Netherlands, and he has a name that's the equivalent to the North American name John Smith. So it was a tough, you know, a tough situation. Crazy common. Yeah. So anyways, nothing resulted from that. A week later, I was back at home, and one of my girlfriends came over. It was a Friday night, and we're sitting outside on my deck, and we're having a glass of wine. Well, at this point in time, we've had three glasses of wine. And I said, hey, Julie, will you do me a favor? Will you hold my phone? And I'm not a video girl. So I don't post a lot of video. This is one of the areas that I'm actually moving a lot more into. I'm like, I got to do more video. Because, you know, I'm a, woman, I'm a woman and I need my hair done and my makeup done. It's a lot of work, right? So I asked her to hold my phone. She, she just literally hits record and I shoot this video. Unplanned, unscripted, didn't know what I was going to say. Had three glasses of wine. And I was just like, hey, I'm going to just share a story with you guys. You know, and I told them that I'd never met my father and everything that I knew about him. And I didn't post it that evening because I was like, that's not the right thing to do. <laughs> Let me wake up with no alcohol in my system and decide if I want to share that. So I looked at it in the morning and I'm like, oh my God, this is a terrible video. But if I don't post it, I'll never do it again. Yeah. Because it was so real and so authentic and so just, you know, it, you, I couldn't do that again because it would just feel contrived. Try to make it too polished. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I posted this horrible video and it went viral around the world, literally around the world. And within three days, I was actually speaking to my father on the phone for the very first time. And it became one of the biggest news stories in June 2015. In fact, I had uh, three American uh, television shows, 2020, another one, Inside Edition, all these shows saying, Melanie, we want the exclusive rights to your story. We'll fly you overseas to meet your father. We want to film it all. And it was like in the newspaper and on TV and radio all around the world. It was like this crazy, crazy story. But it was a huge lesson for me because it was the really actually the very first time that I was truly authentic and vulnerable online. Wow. It was, it was amazing. You know, yeah. now I had built up a lot of goodwill. Like people liked me and I was you know, very generous and, you know, I was a nice person, but I never revealed a lot. Over the course of that weekend, when that video went viral and people were sharing it, all I could think about is I don't even care if I ever meet my father. This weekend has been the most amazing experience of my life to see how people wanted to help me, how people literally came to my rescue and they're like, Melanie, how can we help you? And they were literally sharing it everywhere that they could, posting it in Dutch Facebook groups and here and there. And I'm like, well, I know my dad lived in Australia. I know he lived in Europe. He lived in Canada. Like people just went crazy all around the world, you know, sharing it. And it was a transformational experience for me, regardless of whether or whether or not I met my father, which I ended up, I ended up, you know, definitely experiencing that, which was pretty incredible, but it would have been incredible regardless. Well, and it turns out that your dad is an Elvis impersonator, which of all (laughs) of the things that you would think, hey, I'm going to meet my father for the first time. I wonder what he does. Elvis impersonator, probably not the top 15, 20 answers that you would assume that your dad does. And and his two children, your your half brothers (laughs) and sisters, are named Elvis, Elvis and Priscilla, which is, which is a commitment to your craft that I really, really appreciate. Like that is like, I am all in on this career uh, and I'm totally down with it. This is, the, I, you know, it's fantastic, right? So how, that, that how part had to have been a little bit bizarre, but I, it's an amazing story. <laughs> how long have you known that for? Quite a while. I'm good at this job. <laughs> Quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty amusing. And that's why the media loved it so much. They're like social media experts searches for long lost dad and finds the king. So that yeah, that is a truth or stranger than fiction uh, sort of circumstance right there. No doubt. It it was crazy. It, it it's pure craziness. There there's no question about it. The power of social. We're, de- we're delighted that you got to, to meet your dad. And I think your lesson about being vulnerable and authentic and how powerful that can be is, is one that applies to everybody who listens to social pros. I think we, we tend to, and I'm certainly guilty of this as well, hold my beer. Uh, you know, we, we tend to, especially on the commercial business side of the thing, try to, try to polish it, try to make it perfect, try to um, you know, do those things. And then when you're actually raw and vulnerable, that works the best. I've found the same thing to be true in my own work. It's just, um, I'm not naturally like that either. And, and so I find it difficult to go down that road, but every time I do, uh, amazing thing happens. So, um, Melanie, I'm glad to, I'm glad to have that, that lesson reinforced here. I'm going to ask you the two questions that we've asked all the guests here on the social pros podcast for eight years now. First question is what one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? 
you know, I want to say be, you know, be authentic and, and be vulnerable and transparent, but I also want to say balance that, you know, because I see the extremes. Yeah. And so it's a combination of be professional and it depends on, you know, what your business is. You know, for me, my business is, I tend to attract a much more professional type of person than maybe somebody that's, you know, talking about Instagram or even Facebook. So it really depends, but yeah, you know, have that combination of professionalism and authentic and, and vulnerable and transparent. But at the end of the day, always just provide value. I like that idea of sort of a professional authenticity, right? That, that it's, you know, one person's authenticity is somebody else's train wreck. And, and, you know, that's maybe not exactly what we want to see in social either. Right. So I like that idea of sort of that fine line between, uh, vulnerable and, and too vulnerable. Hard, hard to hard to know where that line is, but I think it's uh, a good concept. Last question from Ani Dadaro, who is the CEO of Top Dog Social Media. You can find her there. Also, the author of LinkedIn Unlocked. If you could do a video call with any living person who is not an Elvis impersonator, who would it be? I have to tell you, I'm not even an Elvis fan. Um, it would <laughs> of be. That's even better. It would, it would be Richard Branson, and that's simply because I have a crush Branson. on him. I have a crush on Richard Branson. We, ha- we have had a couple of people say Richard Branson in the history of this show, but not including as many. Including me when I was the guest. That's right, including Adam. Uh, we used to get more Richard Bransons, and now we get more Elon Musks, who's sort of like, I think you could make a case, right, that he is sort of like, he is almost like Richard Branson 2.0 in some ways. Yeah, but he's not as cute. I'm, I'm just going to sit that one out. Sure. Okay. I don't even know. The trends of the CEO zeitgeist. Yeah. I don't even know. Sure. Melanie says that, that uh, Richard Branson is cuter than Elon Musk. That's the headline. It's got the hair. It's got the uh, accent. Yeah. The accent's good too. Absolutely. Elon has neither. He does have an accent. Just not that same accent. That's true. Melanie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. It's been fantastic. Always great to see you. Congratulations on the new book too. Guys, it's fantastic. I, I have a, a blurb on the back of it saying that it's indispensable for LinkedIn. It absolutely is. Although, as I mentioned, I still have to work on my profile. Uh, but it's really, really good. You can get on Amazon or, or wherever, LinkedIn Unlocked. Melanie, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jay. And thank you, Adam. It was great to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been this week's edition of Social Pros. Adam and I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. Until then, keep on listening. Tell your friends. As I mentioned, uh, if you've got any questions, comments, you can always find me, Jay, at jbear.com. We'll see you then. This has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.